I'm so happy that you're here, and I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, and let's go today to the book of Daniel, chapter 11, a very fascinating chapter from the perspective that it gives a lot of insight about the coming Antichrist. And while we're not really going to talk about who the Antichrist is, we will look at one verse that gives us some future prophetic insight into what will take place there in Jerusalem. Now, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we study your word today, we ask that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would flow, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given unto us so that we can understand your word and live it, apply it to our lives and enjoy it. Father, we thank you for this blessing. In Jesus' name, we agree and say, Amen. Verse 31, and forces shall be mustered by him. That would be this Antichrist-type figure who in history, his actual name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices, that's what he did, and place there the abomination of desolation. And he certainly did that as well. Now, in the year of 167 B.C. is when this took place. You had this man. His name was Antichios Epiphanes, and he was the king of Syria. And he was not the rightful king. Now, the king that went before him died, and his son was supposed to reign in his place. But here came old Antiochus uh, from another area, and he came in there uh, with an overthrow to win the hearts of the people over so that they would uh, make him the king instead of this young boy. And they, they listened to him because Antiochus Epiphanes was raised in Rome, and he was trained and educated in the finest teachings of Rome, and he was actually a very good speaker. Uh, so you see a lot of um, uh, prophetic overshadowing of the coming Antichrist, somebody that will be a phenomenal speaker. Well, he, this guy had all of that, and he deceived the people and won over the people, and thus he became the king of Syria. And what he did is he tried to force the Greek culture on the Jewish people. Uh, he tried to Hellenize them. Uh, the word Hellenization would mean to uh, take the Greek culture and to indoctrinate the people with that. And so he wanted to stamp out all vestiges of monotheism or worship to the one God that we know would be Jehovah God. And there in Jerusalem in 167 BC, he came in with his army and he desecrated the temple, and he stopped all of the sacrifices, not only there in Jerusalem, but anywhere throughout the land of Israel where the law was taught or there were synagogues or things like that. He just began to burn all biblical manuscripts. He began to tear down synagogues and kill the whole lot of Jews. He was a really, really bad guy. Uh, and you see so many uh, examples about his life here in Daniel 11 that all uh, are giving insights in, into who this one world leader will be in the end times, who is the real Antichrist. 
And Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, he was a forerunner, you could say, a prototype. But the real guy that's coming will be much, much worse and is going to do some awful things. Now, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, even took a pig and he went into the Jewish temple uh, he went through the holy place, and he went into the Holy of Holies, and he sacrificed a pig there on the altar. And so his whole thing was just, you know, destroy Judaism and destroy the Jewish people. And those that were willing to still live, uh, you have to conform to his uh you know, his idea of what should be worshipped and his idea of what should be studied and taught. And so on and on and on, that stuff went. By the way, he died a very, uh, very painful death. He was really tormented by demons uh, in the last two years of his life, even talking out loud. They're tormenting me again, uh, things along that line. So uh, he really got it good what was coming to him. He got some severe punishment, and I'm sure he's in hell today. So he uh, went into the temple, and he defiled the temple. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, God dwelt, his presence dwelt there in the temple in the most holy place there upon the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim. Now, at this time, it is also thought that the ark had already been taken out. Uh, sometimes people ask that question, uh, the temple that Herod built during the day of Jesus, when Jesus was alive, the, the temple that was there in Jerusalem, uh, was the ark of the covenant back behind that curtain. Um, most uh, rabbis that have studied the Jewish literature will teach you that, no, it wasn't. It was it was uh, it disappeared <laughs> uh, just before the Babylonians invaded and ransacked Jerusalem. Uh, it disappeared. There's a lot of theories about where it's at. Uh, my personal belief uh, is that it's probably uh, underground somewhere there in Jerusalem. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a theory it's in Ethiopia. I don't believe that by any stretch of the imagination. I believe it's still in Jerusalem. Hidden really well, but certain people know where it's at. Nevertheless, in the Old Testament system, there was the temple. And there in the temple, you had the holy place and then the most holy place. But something fascinating happened with the Lord Jesus during his, during his death. He cried out and said, it is finished, and he died. And when that happened, as he was on the cross, when that happened, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, or sometimes called the, the, the holy of holies, that veil, that, which was a curtain, it was torn from the top down not from the bottom up. So it's not like two really big, strong guys grabbed it, one on one side, one on the other, and they ripped it and you know just pulled apart from the bottom to the top. It was torn from the top all the way to the bottom. And the Jewish historian Josephus, he tells us that that curtain was four inches thick. So the material was extremely thick, strong, and heavy, very durable, so it's four inches thick. He also said it was 20 feet tall and 40 feet wide, but it was torn from top to bottom after Jesus said it is finished and he died, and you could see right into the holy of holies. 
And when Jesus said, it is finished, and, and then he died, and then you had the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension where he went up into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God, what happened is that basically God moved out of the temple. And he was no longer, uh, his presence was no longer in the temple. And many of the amazing, well, not many, all, all of the unusual miracles that were associated not only with daily life there at the temple, but particularly the uh, very significant things that took place on the Day of Atonement that always happened every year, they stopped taking place. Now, eventually, in AD 70, the temple is going to be completely destroyed. And if you go to Jerusalem today, all you see is the mount upon which the temple used to sit. And uh, the western wall is really just a retaining wall that held uh, it holds in the dirt and the mountain material uh, upon which the temple itself set. But there's nothing left of the temple. It's completely gone because when the Roman soldiers lit fire to the temple and were tearing certain uh, parts of it apart, they noticed that gold was everywhere and that gold started melting and running down between the cracks of the rocks. Well, they, they, they thought, well, if there's gold involved, let's just take the whole thing apart. That's what they did stone by stone. And of course, you know, killed all the Jews that were in Jerusalem at that time. But uh, for, for example, uh, let's look at uh, something that took place. This is interesting. We see it in the book of Leviticus, and this deals with the subject of the scarlet thread. So uh, every year in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest would, he would be working with these two goats, one of the goats is for the Lord. It's a sacrifice. The other goat's going to be the scapegoat. It's going to be sent off into the wilderness. But what they would do is they would take a red or scarlet red cord, and they would put one of these cords up on the temple door. And so you had these giant doors uh, on the entrance to the temple. One of those cords would be put up on the door for all of the Jewish people. All of the Israelites could see that cord hanging there. And there's another cord that would be on the scapegoat. Now, after the high priest concluded all of his duties of the sacrifices and things like that, then on that door, if God was pleased and everything was done right, that cord in front of everybody would turn from red to white. It was an amazing thing. Wow. And that was a supernatural indicator that well, we, we, we're good to go for another year. Uh, the, the blood of an animal has covered or atoned for our sins. Now, all the sins were still underneath that blood, but it's like having a credit card. Uh, you're charging your credit card, and somebody's going to cover that. But, you know, but eventually, you're going to have to pay off the credit card. Well, that's what Jesus did with his one great finale sacrifice of his own sinless life. But also, uh, along with that supernatural sign of that red cord turning white in front of everybody, you had the cord that would be attached to the uh, scapegoat. And uh, when that goat would be sent off into the wilderness, that the cord that was tied around him that he would be dragging would turn from red to white. 
Well, all of that stopped after Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember, the temple kept on going. Uh, uh, even after Jesus was raised from the dead, and uh, you know, you've got the 12 apostles preaching, and, and then the day of Pentecost, and the church's birth, and all of that. See, all that temple stuff, though, kept on going. The system of Judaism kept on going for another 40 years until the temple was destroyed. But during those 40 years, uh, you, you could tell, hey, things aren't the same. The priests could tell things aren't the same anymore. Why? God had moved out of the temple. And even the red cord attached to the scapegoat, uh, it wouldn't turn white either. So, you know, the rabbis, they're all, they're all puzzled by this. But, you know, what, what can they do? There's nothing they can do about it. It just seems like God's not talking to them anymore through their normal means of following the law and, you know, the temple activities that took place. God's not speaking anymore through that venue. Well, uh, that's true because he's not there in that system anymore. He's not there shut up in that holy of holies anymore. You really, you had, you had a lot of daily miracles there at the temple, but when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, you had four major miracles at the temple that stopped that many of the Jews noticed. Of course, one of them would be the cord turning from red to white in front of everybody. And that would bring a great relief to the nation when it happened. And if, if it didn't happen, they all knew something was severely wrong. But, you know, it always uh, went in accordance with the way it should. But you had some other things as well. Um, concerning those those two goats, it does say in Leviticus 16, verse 8, Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. And uh, it says that one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Well, the, they ran into another, another problem after Jesus was raised from the dead, where whenever the, the high priest would cast lots uh, for, for the goats, uh, it, the lot kept coming up in the wrong hand. Now, there's some study involved in that to understand what was really going on. It's a little bit complex, but the odds of this working out the way that it did, uh, one, one scientist said that the odds of this happening would be one in five billion, five hundred million. Where the, uh, so it, it's, it's, things aren't, aren't the same anymore. In other words, the priest, the high priest, he would put both hands into this urn. Before he put his hands into the urn, they would shake the urn up, move, you know, shake it around and stuff like that. He's going to put his hands in there. There's two stones in there. One, and, and both stones are the same size, same weight. One stone has written on it for the Lord. The, the other stone has written on it for Aziel or for, you know, the, for the scapegoat. So the priest would reach in there with both hands, eyes closed, not looking, not trying to, you know, like get one hand on the right stone. He would grab whatever hand his stone was, uh, uh, you know, his hand went to, he'd pull them both out. And then he's going to stand before both goats. And then he's going to open his hands and there's going to be a man standing there who's an assistant who's going to uh, tell what's written on each uh, stone. And this is supposed to line up. That's what I'm trying to say, basically. There was a method in which this all lines up. This this stone is supposed to go in this hand and the lot on that stone is supposed to go in this hand. And it just it stopped working after Jesus was raised from the dead. And the odds of that happening the way it did is just... Uh, 
It was incredible because it happened 40 years straight. See, after Jesus was resurrected for 40 years straight until that temple was destroyed, that that cord never turned uh, from red to white ever again. When that high priest would uh, have those two goats and he would draw the lot uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead and uh, the Spirit of God had moved out of the temple, those lots never came up right ever, ever again. And, you know, for those that were working at the temple, they were just like, wow, there's some crazy stuff going on around here. It's, this is like God has abandoned us. Well, God had abandoned that system because there's now a, a new system, or you could say it like this, the old covenant has been fulfilled and the new covenant is now on the scene. And if you want your sins forgiven, you need to get over here to this new covenant system because that's the one that, and that's the only one that God is honoring. There was There were other things as well. One of them was uh, uh, at night, the priest would close the temple doors. But in the morning, when they would come back, they were always opened. <laughs> they were like, who opened the doors? Nobody opened the doors. We've been here all night long watching them. Well, how do they get open again? And so this not only puzzled them, this actually scared them because they thought it was a bad omen. Uh, and it, they thought this, this is a sign of destruction. Well, actually, uh, on that, they were probably right because destruction did happen in a very awful way in AD 70 when Titus came in with the Roman army and laid siege to Jerusalem and just destroyed it and killed many, many Jewish people. Now, you had this other issue there at the temple, something very unusual going on with the menorah, which was supposed to always be kept lit. It was called, like, you know, in their mindset, the eternal flame. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, now you've got the temple doors, you know, that, that they'll, they won't close. And, and then you've got this thing with the menorah where although the priest would put all the oil in and it's supposed to stay lit on that menorah, the western light, the western part of it just kept going out. Every night it would go out. didn't make any sense. It would just go out. So you had a lot of things that just stopped. Why? God moved out of that temple. Mm -mm. Very, very interesting. Now, of course, in Hebrews chapter 10, you really get a just a complete overview of the fulfillment of the Old Testament system through Christ, that covenant, and the new covenant, which is so much better that Jesus has made available. We see that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. And, you know, not only did it not, it, did it not change the lives of the people, but, you know, today for the Jews with no temple, because that was central for them with no temple. Uh, the rabbis really have had to reinvent actually what Judaism is. So uh, it, it's uh, now there's all kinds of uh, hundreds of human traditions mixed into it now. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Talking about the sacrifices. For the worshipers, once purified, would have, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. That is correct. Now, that the blood of bulls and goats could cover sin temporarily for a year, but then the high priest has got to go back into the Holy of Holies and go through all this you know, elaborate routine all over again. It, it could not take away sin. 
The blood of Jesus takes away your sin. It completely removes it, and Jesus doesn't even remember your sin. Wow. And there's not only a purging and a taking away of, of your sins, there's a purging and cleansing of your conscience. So you can feel clean and because you are clean. Wow. It really is amazing. It really is a, a covenant that is so much better. Verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that would be Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for my one offering that, would, that took place at Calvary there in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Mm -hmm. And of course, then verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Praise God. So Jesus shed his blood for us so that we can have full redemption. So the Lord moved out of the temple. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He's not back behind a curtain somewhere. Praise God. Well, Pastor Stephen, then where in the world does God live? Let's find out. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. We're in the New Covenant. Let's see what changes took place from the old to the new. Verse 19. Or do you not know? Well, I, I think most Christians know this, but I, I do think in some ways because of a lot of religious traditions and maybe even sentimentalism that you could slip on this if you're not careful. Now watch this, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so now in the new covenant, God does not live in a man-made temple of stone or brick or gold or anything like that or stained glass or whatever it might be. God lives in you as the individual believer and also collectively we as a church, he lives in his body. Whoo! Praise God. Now, um, I don't have my, my phone with me, uh, but I couldn't help but notice, I would have pulled up some of the stories relating to this, of such concern. Uh, you've probably heard about this in the news. Such concern about the former church in Turkey uh, that has been converted into a mosque. Oh, Pastor Stephen, the president there, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Erdogan, that's awful what he has done. Well, the reality is in the 1930s, it was actually turned into a, a museum. Okay, so for oh, about 140 or 150, excuse me, 1,500 years before that, it was a Byzantine-type church. So it had Christian roots. The, the building was used 
for the gathering of God's people. And so in, uh, in the 1930s, they turned it into a, a nice museum. And uh, very recently, uh, the president of Turkey has decided, you know, I want to I turn it into a mosque. And so he's done that. And I guess they'll start, you know, holding Islamic services there in the, quote, mosque. And Christians all over America, oh, Pastor Stephen, that's awful. They have turned the church into a mosque, Pastor Stephen. The, uh, we're in the end times. Yes, we're in the end times. But can I say something? The facility that they that that he has now designated a, as a mosque. Can I tell you what it is? Oh, Pastor Stephen, it's the church. No, it's not. It's a stone building. That's all it is. It's stone building. Have you ever stopped to think that you can't go to church? Because you are the church. Pastor Stephen, I'm going to church. What do you mean by that? Do, do, do you mean that you're going to a building and that building is the church? Well, yes, Pastor Stephen. Mm -hmm. No, no, that, that's a building made out of wood. Uh, th that's not the temple of God. You are the temple of God. God dwells in you. See what I'm saying? I, I saw a lot of Christian uh, magazines and newspapers cover this article and... They were, and I, I, it's good to cover, it's good to know what's going on in, you know, around the world and stuff like that, but it's just basically the president of Turkey, you know, just opened up a mosque somewhere. It just happened to be that Christians used to meet there a long time ago. That's a pretty cool building too. There is a lot of history. And I, I think that, yes, in, in many ways we need to preserve history. But truth be told, would you like to know the New Testament truth? I can go out and buy a used car dealership that they used to sell cars in, and I can take that, and we as believers could meet there, and we could have, in a sense, church there because we are the church. Oh, no, Pastor Stephen, that's not a holy place. They used to sell vehicles in there. That's not the church. That's just a building. We're the church. <laughs> not that stone structure. Oh, what religious tradition can do. You can't go to the church because you are the church. Mm -mm. And some Christians get so uh, sentimental, they actually think that the building is the church. They actually think God dwells in the building. They, it, this is like going under the old covenant again, back into the Holy of Holies. God lives in you. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Now, let's dig deeper. I love Gothic architecture. After that, you, you got into the Renaissance. The Renaissance was pretty cool too, but as far as what many, you know, writers along the line of building design and, and uh, architecture, they really say that the high watermark was Gothic architecture because of the cathedrals that were built. And you have to admit, they are beautiful structures. But you know, there are people that, that are Christians. They love God. They are so attached to the structure, to the building, because it's pretty, that they actually, in a sense, think God lives there. Can I get back to basics? It's just a beautiful stone building. Praise the Lord. It's a stone building. And people think sometimes that because it has a high vaulted ceiling 
and it has stained glass windows, and it has, as many of the great cathedrals uh, do, it has pointed arches, and some of them have the amazing flying buttresses. Oh, you saw my pictures from two years ago when me and Pastor Kelly were in France. I, I spoke at, uh, at a, a couple of Catholic churches uh, that were phenomenal. One of them built in the 1300s, another that I went to that was much older, that, uh, whoo, uh, mind-boggling beauty. Oh, yes, Pastor Stephen, God lives in there. God lives in there. Uh, please, don't go back under the Old Covenant just because it's a beautiful structure. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm-mm. Lord, we, we give you praise for revelation and illumination. Praise God. How about this? Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and verse 29. Actually, verse 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints, that's you and I. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, are you ready for it? Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Now, a lot of Christians might think that should read Christ outside of you, the hope of glory. But that was the great mystery veiled from those under the old covenant. It was veiled from them. There were a few prophets that were starting to pick up on it, and it just... That they couldn't wrap their mind around it. It was too wild. God living on the inside of the individual child of God. Uh, and so it, it was a mystery, but it's not any longer. That mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Praise the Lord. So Christ lives on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. He lives in your body. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Now, some people over the years, I say people, I'm talking about God's people, have gotten so caught up on the dwelling of God, and they have drifted from the fact that you are the dwelling place of God. God lives on the inside of you, and they've gotten over to the place where they have put the focus on the building or the facility, and they think God lives there, or that's the church. And it's not. You and I are the church, and we meet in a building. And if the truth be told, you can meet in any kind of a building that you want. Praise God. Now, Pastor Stephen, can we call it the house of God or the Lord's house? You can, but you have to, I think, have an understanding of what you mean by that. If you're calling it the house of God because you say God lives in there, then that's not biblically correct from a new covenant perspective. But if you are calling it the house of God because that has been designated as a place where we meet to worship, then I can understand what you mean by that because where we go, God goes because he's on the inside of us. If we're not there, it's just an empty building. And that's all it is, is a building that doesn't have anybody in it. Well, Pastor Stephen, I thought that you have said that even in your meetings before, God was in the house. Yes, he was. Do you know why? Because we were there. <laughs> and when we disperse and leave, it's not like he stays there sitting in a chair. He leaves. Mm, 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 mm. 
He inhabits the praises of his people, Psalm 22. And as we get together, there are the manifestations of the Spirit. And when we worship as believers or hear the Word taught as believers, there, there can be the moving of the Spirit, the presence, as we would say, of the Lord. Praise God. But, you know, when we disperse and we're not there anymore, uh, it's not like God says, okay, I'll see you when you get back next time. I'll still be here waiting for you. No, he's in you. He's on the inside of you. Mm -mm. Well, I think all streams of Christianity have drifted sometimes where they put the focus on the wrong area. Um, I, I think some of my Catholic friends, they think it's all about the building. And, uh, and they have routines. Oh, I, I'm not picking on the Catholics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move over to the Protestants in just a moment. But I know for those that would be Catholic, because I've been in their, their services and I've been to monasteries and, and things like that, there's, uh, if you go back behind the scenes, there's even more traditions. So the monk or the abbot or you know the bishop or whatever, uh, as you're going towards the sanctuary, you have to touch that and you have to uh, bow here. And then when you get over by this area, oh, you have to touch this stone. And then as you come over here, you have to bow before this. And but you know it takes you 15 minutes just to get where you're going. And if you just walk there, you could be there in one minute. But you have to do all of these things. Why? This is the holy house of God. And so you have all this stuff that you have to do, bowing, bending, kneeling, getting back up, and uh, whoo, glory to God. It's, it's like it takes half of your study just to learn behavior of what you're supposed to do. And look, look, it's all tradition. It's all tradition of men. There's no power in it. There's no anointing in it. And uh, the house is treated as if God's there. Well, if he's there, where is he? Is he up in the attic? Is he back in the uh, is he back in the foyer, or is he over in the kitchen, or is he down in the basement? You know, putting his shoes on. Uh, no, no. The reason God would be there is because we're there, and if you and I aren't there, it's an empty building because He lives where? He, he lives on the inside of you. Now, let's move to a different stream of, of Christianity. Same faith. Those who love the Lord, saved, and love Jesus. Now. Uh, maybe what we would call Protestant or evangelical, okay? Uh, back in the 1700s, you had John Wesley. And he started preaching, you know, having been, uh, you know, commissioned as an Anglican priest through the Church of England. He's out preaching, but he's catching new revelation from the Holy Spirit. And he realized that the church, that, they, that the Church of England met in, you know, the various buildings, the, the church building... Um, uh, it's not about the building, but the, all the elders and all of their teaching thought it was, you cannot have any services ever outside of the quote house of God, because God would never move outside of these walls because he's in this house. And John Wesley wanted to reach those outside of the walls of the church. Okay. So he told the leaders I believe that we need to go outside and minister and preach to those outside. You know what they did to him? They threw him out of the building. They thought it was so heretical to, to even think about ministering outside of the, quote, house of God. They rose up and threw him out of the building. And he went to the cemetery 
there out, you know, at, at the back of the of the church. He went to the cemetery, stood on top of his father's tombstone because his daddy formerly was a preacher. Stood on the tombstone and preached to the people outside. Guess what? Found out that the presence of the Lord showed up outside in the open air, just like it would show up on the inside of a facility when he preached inside of a building. And so, you know what? Armed with that revelation, you know what he did? He started holding what we now call open air meetings outside. Mm-mm. And the Church of England said, you cannot do that. They stripped him of his ordination, of his credentials. And don't ever forget, true credentials come from God. <laughs> you get a piece of paper <laughs> saying you're a man of God, but if God doesn't put his backing behind it uh, originally, then uh, there's no piece of paper that's going to float the boat. Praise God. Well, John Wesley certainly had that call from the Lord, and he started having massive crowds. And you know what? God showed up in those open-air meetings. What if you stood on a stump God was there. The presence of the Lord was there. Oh, Pastor Stephen, you can't do that. You got to get back inside the house. God's in the building because that's the holy house of God. No, you, your body is the holy house of God. Mm-mm. Oh, so now George Whitefield catches the revelation and he starts having even larger crowds. And that, that, you know, those men eventually came to America and ministered in America. But we're talking crowds of 20,000, sometimes 30,000. And God is saving people out in the open underneath trees. <laughs> Pastor Stephen, God can't do that. You have to do that in the house of God. Well, that's all, all of that frustration, all of that jealousy, all of that confusion came because people forgot, forgot. Remember, let me go back to that just for a moment. Or do you not know, they didn't know, that you are the temple? Not that building over there where we can meet at so we can get in out of the rain when we have a service together as a church because we are the church. Okay, they forgot. They forgot that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, why do we need these buildings? So that we don't get rained on when we meet together as the body of Christ. So that we can have some heating in the winter. So that we can have some cooling in in the summer. And so that as we meet together as a uh, collective body, that we can have a place that, in since we need to have a place to meet, let's have a nice place that honors and glorifies the Lord. And you can make it a cathedral if you want. You can use whatever type of uh, architecture that you want. But just don't ever forget that building is not uh, where God lives. God lives in you. Mm, mm, mm. Pastor Stephen, we need Gothic architecture. If we have that, then God will surely come. Well, you, it's nice if you, if you have that, and it's, it is extremely beautiful, but you don't need that. Mm, mm. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. See, the Azusa Street Revival that happened in the early 1900s there in Los Angeles took place not in a beautiful cathedral. It took place in what was formerly a horse stable, and they tried to clean it up the best they could, and they put some uh, benches in there. But from what I've read, because it used to be formerly a horse stable, they always had problems with flies. But I could tolerate a few flies when you're having a move of the Spirit of God like they were having. But, but you must also understand, it's not about the place. 
It's not about the location. It's about the believer or the believers that are there. And so you had Seymour there. And trust me, when you have a man that's praying five hours a day, uh, probably some good things are going to happen. Matter of fact, he confided in Dr. John G. Lake that he was actually praying seven hours a day when the revival was running uh, at its peak and the the miracles were at their greatest, which included... uh, arms coming out where there were no arms, legs coming out where there were no legs, and many, many other miracles. You don't need Gothic architecture for that. You you need the people of God to come together in faith and to pray and to believe. Hallelujah. And God will do beautiful things. Why? He dwells in you and he also dwells among you as, as we gather together. Praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody's getting set free. <laughs> Oh, praise God. All right, so here's, here's one that's really beautiful. And this one is, uh, the timing on this one is for you today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, not on the outside of you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God dwelling in you. Mm -mm. Jesus said, my father and I will come and make our abode in you. How? By the Holy Spirit living in your body, living in your spirit, living on the inside of you. Powerful, powerful. Praise the Lord. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than anything else that's out there, greater than uh, all the challenges that our country would face at this time, greater than all of the uh, situations that are on a global level that are difficult. But yet God is greater. God's greater, and he's living where? On the inside of you. So he will strengthen you. He will put resolve in you. He will put wisdom in you. He will put courage in you. He will put whatever is needed to keep you going, and he's on the inside of you. And you need to be conscious of that. You need to be aware of that, of that power of the person who is living on the inside of you. So, so often we can get focused on the outside. And God says, it's, it's me on the inside of you. Sometimes we can get caught up in a building, caught up in a location or something like that. Well, Pastor Stephen, now I, I've heard that Moravian Falls is a very thin place and there's angels everywhere. Well, if it's thin, it's because there are people here who are thin. In other words, what I mean by that is you have people here that love the Lord, understand the supernatural, have a hunger for the things of God, and because of God's people then it can create an atmosphere like that. But take the people away, and all you have is a nice view with lots of green, lots of trees, and a lot of deer, and some raccoons and squirrels running around. Well, Pastor Stephen, God's there. Yes, he's here because we're here. Mm -mm. And see, people try to say, well, it's spiritual because it's spiritual. No, it's spiritual because of the people, because of the people. And you take the people away, uh, it's it's you know, air, sky, uh, uh, trees, rocks, and stuff like that. 
Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Well, Pastor Steve, what about the angels? Well, that's because you have a whole bunch of people that have revelation of the angels and the supernatural. And because we cooperate with that and we understand that, you're going to have more of those manifestations. Praise God. It's just like, you know, uh, go to Tulsa. And if you hang out in Tulsa and uh, that area of Oklahoma where so many faith ministers have their base at, their headquarters at, uh, you're going to run into a lot more people that have the uh, knowledge of the mechanics of faith and how it works and how they use your faith to believe God and to receive things from God. So that, that's an atmosphere they created there. But you take the Christians out of that, you just have, uh, you have the historic Dust Bowl area. Praise God. You know, the crazy weather and hailstones the size of softballs and everything like that. But it's the people. It's God's people. Pastor Stephen, if you go to Nigeria, you'll really be able to move in the Spirit because God's there. Well, why is He there? Because of the people. Yes, and I, I've heard that, that uh, and I haven't been to Nigeria. I want to go sometime. They say the easiest place to preach is in Nigeria. I've heard more, more than one minister say that. Well, that's because of the people of God who live there and the prayers and the community and the faith of the believers. Now, you take the people out of that equation, take the people of God out of that city or out of that region or that part uh, of the country, and uh, you, you're just going to have a vacuum in the sense of it's going to be whatever is there. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Well, God's there. Yes, God's there because we're there and he's in us. It's not about a building. It's not even about a location. Mm -mm. I remember one prophet, a good prophet, but learning these things of God, he asked the Lord a question. He said, Lord, why did you decide to move in that city? And the Lord answered him and said, I didn't choose that city. I chose that man. <laughs> because the city is known for the man of God that lives there and the great work that's been raised up there. And because of that, it, it actually put that city on the map. In other words, a lot of Christians know about that city. So the prophet said, Lord, why did you choose that city? The Lord said, I didn't choose that city. I chose that man. Ah, so God lives in that man. Oh, see, you have to get back to the New Testament. Hallelujah. Well, years back, what, maybe about oh, 24 years ago, I, uh, I was hanging out with a friend. Me, me and Kelly were together, and uh, we had been invited to uh, help out with the move of the headquarters of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. They had been located in Costa Mesa, and they're going to move to a different location so they said, you know, Stephen, you're chapter president, and you, please grab up some of the guys to help, and you're welcome to come. I said, yeah, I'll be there. Me and Kelly, will come and move a few things, do what we can. So a whole bunch of people showed up to help. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're moving boxes and stuff like that to the new location. Now, one of the guys that worked there at the headquarters, he said, Stephen, come over here, and I want to show you something very, very special. So he took me to kind of like a back room where things that were valuable were stored at that, you know, the average person didn't have any access to. And he said, come here. Oh, I want to show you something very, very holy. God's in this. I said, he is? He goes, yes. He said, what you're about to see, God's in it. And I said, well, this is going to be interesting. He took me back to a, a room about three, three times the size of the, the studio that I'm in right here. And there... Leaning against the wall 
rolled up. He explained to me, there, Stephen, is the rug that Demas Shikarian prayed on when he had the great vision that God gave him the great global vision of this ministry. That's the very rug right there that he prayed on. And God's in that rug. I said, he is. We need to get him out. He can't breathe because <laughs> it's all rolled up real tight. <laughs> oh, Stephen, though, you don't understand. God's in that rug. Uh, he said, I unrolled it one night and I laid on it. I rolled all over it. I rolled all over it so that I could receive God. I said, I thought you received God when you got saved, when you gave your heart to Jesus. Well, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm receiving God in a new measure, in a, in a new dimension. I said, well, has it done anything for you? He goes, well, I don't know, but I just believe it will. So he had rolled all over the rug, and uh, uh, I think all he got out of it was a good itch, praise the Lord. I don't think it had been vacuumed in 40 years. So nevertheless, my friends, th this stuff is kind of some things people can get into sometimes when they, they don't realize God lives in you. God lives in you. So they venerate a building, okay, or they venerate a place, and they say, God's in that. God's in that rock. Mm. Pastor Stephen, go sit on that rock. You'll feel God. Mm. And th th this is really getting over into kooky stuff because it doesn't work like that. And if you told them, no, God's in you, they'd they, 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 they throw the Bible at you. <laughs> Why? Because they're, they're getting sidetracked. They're getting sidetracked. And you need to realize that the greater one is not in the rock. The greater one is not rolled up over there in that rug. The greater one is where? Living, living in you. He moved out of the temple of, uh, of Solomon. He's not in the tabernacle of Moses. He's not in the, uh, the temple that Herod built. He's gone. The, even the, the temple's gone. He's moved where? Into the heart of the person that receives Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he lives on the inside of every believer. And if you'll become more conscious of that, you'll realize that victory and the spite, uh, in spite of the most uh, troubling situations that could arise, you will realize that you can overcome because the greater one is on the inside of you. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. Some local people wanted to build. Let me see if I can veil this a little bit and cloak this. I live in a small town. Praise the Lord. Um, some local people wanted to build a house and put it in a location that would be visible. Why? I asked them, why do you want to do that? Oh, Brother Stephen, because God is going to come off his throne. He's going to come down and dwell in that house. And we're going to make sure the house has lights, excuse me, all glass windows. So when God's in there and the light is lighting up with the glory, that all the glory and the light will go out of the windows and people can see it for miles and come and encounter God. I said, oh, I said, uh, do you have any scripture from that, from the New Testament of God living in a house and illuminating the house? Now, you understand that I'm, I'm well aware with how God moves. I, I know that when we gather, we gather together, God can show up 
and uh, the cloud of glory can appear, and uh, uh, you know all kinds of amazing things can happen, and uh, uh, even fire can be seen on the building, and uh, you know uh, the firemen showing up thinking uh, we saw fire, yeah, you know God's here, or you know, whatever. I understand that. Why is all that going on? Because God's people are there. God's people are there. Okay, but but to want to build. A facility with glass windows and think that God the Father is going to come down there and sit in that building. This is what they were planning on doing. And sit in that in that room in a chair. And I, I don't know what they thought. Well, you would go up to the window, look through the window. Oh, look at that. There's God sitting in a chair. Isn't that amazing? He's smoking a pipe. Mm, that's nice. I always wanted to meet him in person. Uh, see, see, this is cuckoo. This is crazy stuff. Mm-mm. The, and the supposed place where it was going to happen was a place that God dwelt. God's here, day and night. God's standing here. And uh, so I, I had a minister friend uh, who had heard all about this. He went to that place and uh, wanted to find out. So he, he went there. Then he came over and he said, hey, uh, he said, hey, Stephen, what's up with all this stuff of uh, God standing there in that place? I said, well, what do you think of it? He said, well, I went there. And he said, I've been in ministry for years. I've ministered all over the world. He said, I went there and I didn't feel nothing. He said, there's no presence of God there. There's not anything there, just a bunch of rocks and uh, you know trees or whatever the case is. I said, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. The only reason God would move there or be there would be because if we went there or the people of God went there, had a meeting, and God came into the presence of the people and blessed the people or God moved by the Spirit. But outside of that, you know, it does, it does, things don't work like that. Praise God. Mm -mm. So, you know, those people were wanting uh, the unbelievers to be able to see something physical like a building and God sitting in the building and light streaming out and they could come to that. I said, well, I, I thought God lived on the inside of you. Oh, they need to see though. They need to see God. I said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. By the way, the person that wanted to happen, uh, the man that had this idea, eventually, you know, lived his life out and died. And uh, God never showed up and sat there in the house. Now, I've had meetings where the Lord has come into my house. Why did he come into my house? Because I was there. And he wanted to visit me and talk with me and share some things with me. I saw him in a vision. He shared things with me. <laughs> but this emphasis that uh, people, be careful. Be careful with relics. Yeah, you know, Pastor Stephen, this is the finger of St. Peter. Well, how do you know? It looks a little withered up. Uh, it looks kind of dried up. Is that even a finger? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and there's power in it. Well, uh, you know, are you sure that's not petrified wood? So on and on, th these things can go. And, uh, you know, it, but, but look, this happens within the Christian faith where people think it's about this or that. But we really need to get back to the basics. Just walk with the Lord. Know the Lord. Know that he lives on the inside of you and that you are the body of Christ. You are the church. And when we come together as believers collectively, or sometimes we use the word corporately, we are together the body. But remember, that's also just an individual body. There's there's other members all over America, all over the world, literally. So we are the global body of Christ. And God dwells in the body globally, but he also dwells in you individually as an individual person and as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are settled on that, you will be very, very happy 
and you will see you will see yourself going through difficulties because he's on the inside of you. And I have faced uh, over the years, even in ministry, you know, various challenges where it looks like there's no way to go forward. And I've had those times where the enemy would say, just throw in the towel and quit, you know, uh, the, you know, just, you might as well give up. But something would always happen. What's that, Pastor Stephen? Did you touch the finger of Peter? Uh, no, no, that wasn't going to do it for me. Uh, what happened is that the greater one on the inside of me would always rise up and say, keep on going. This is going to, uh, things are going to work out. I'm for you. If I'm for you, who can be against you? Just keep doing the work I've called you to do. And you know what? I found out that God would just give me strength sometimes day by day, but it was always enough. And the victory was always there because of the greater one who lives on the inside of me. He's the same God living on the inside of you. He's got a great plan for your life, a beautiful plan for your life, and he has victory for you today. And he'll give you wisdom and uh, he'll, he'll make your life beautiful and he'll make your life happy. Praise God. So let me close by saying this. The world, when I say the world, I'm talking about the unbelievers. They, they'll say things like, look on the inside, listen to your heart. Well, that, that's unbiblical because if you're not born again and saved, you're looking on the inside of, of, a, of yourself and you're spiritually dead if you're not saved. So to look up on your heart, well, your heart's deceived, Jeremiah chapter 17. And, uh, you, you know, we have to uh, understand that as a believer, Yes, you have been born again. You have a new spirit. And God lives on the inside of the believer, but not on the inside of the unsaved person because they are spiritually dead. Praise God. So you can trust the Lord to lead you and to guide you. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who leads you and who guides you. He's on the inside of you. Mm, mm, mm. He'll help you. He'll help you in every area. He's very, very faithful. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people. Blessing, blessing, strength, and encouragement. Thank you, Father God. Everything's going to be just fine because you're indwelling us. Hallelujah. And you have the answers and the solutions that we need. We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, because God lives on the inside of you, and if there's anything that troubles you, if you'll just go before the Lord and talk about it, he'll tell you, he'll share things with you from his word that will bring comfort and peace that you need. See, sometimes when certain things don't manifest, it doesn't mean God has denied you or said or saying no. Sometimes it's just a, a process of, of the harvest maturing or growing. Well, Pastor Stephen, I haven't seen my miracle. Well, just talk with the Lord. He'll, he'll help you to understand where you're at, and he'll encourage you. If there's anything that's troubling you, bring it to the Lord. He, he lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he'll give you insight and guidance. And God the Father will share the comfort and the hope that you need. Praise God. Now, before we take Holy Communion, if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, uh, he has a gift for you. It's called salvation. And to 
receive salvation. All you have to do is accept it by faith. And if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, he'll save you right now. So if you would like to turn from sin and from, from going the wrong direction and turn to God, turn to his son, Jesus, he'll save you right now from all of your sins. If that's you, pray this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I accept you now as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me from my sins. Wash me with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. I give my heart to you now. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you. I belong to you now. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you, you're a Christian and you've walked away from the Lord and you're not serving the Lord any, anymore, you're in a very dangerous place. If you were to die, you would perish in your sins and you would go to hell. Let's not let that happen right now. If you're, if you're uh, someone that used to be a Christian and you walked away from God, come back, say, Jesus, forgive me. I recommit my life to you. Wash my sins away and reestablish me and my walk with you right now. In your name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. You're good to go. Now serve the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Separate yourself from those things that would be unscriptural, that would be displeasing to the Lord. You know what they are. And honor the Lord with your life and your way of living. Praise God. Now let's take communion today. Glory to God. Glory to God. Grab some unleavened bread. I use these little wafers. You can use a little cracker, whatever you have available, and uh, some grape juice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and for the juice. We consecrate this and set this apart as holy as the flesh and the blood of our dear Savior. Father, we thank you. We give you praise as we receive the body of Jesus. We thank you that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. Lord, help us to be conscious of this. Help us to be aware of this in the words we speak, the things we say, what we do. Hallelujah. We thank you, O God. We thank you, O God. We now receive the body of Jesus in his name. Amen. Let's partake. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What makes a place special? You do. The church does. Hallelujah. Remove the church. It's just a pretty building. It's just a pretty landscape. It's just a nice sunset. Praise God. It's a good view. But we are the people of God. God lives in us. When we show up, guess who shows up with us? God does. Praise the Lord. We're going to let him move and have his way. Mm -mm. That Jesus might be glorified. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus and its mighty cleansing power, washing all sin away, all shame, all guilt. We thank you for a clean conscience and right standing with you through the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One more time. Knowing that God has moved out of the out of the temple. Pastor Stephen, they defiled that building. Look what they did to the building. Uh, that's, that's a building. It's not like they defiled the house of God. 
You and I are the house of God. Praise the Lord. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Please, don't ever forget that. Be mindful that everywhere you go, God's living on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Father, bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time. And remember that the greater one is living within you. Bye-bye.